Okay, everybody, this is Bar Crow Radio. We're coming to you at UpperWestSideRadio.com live. Here we go. Um, come on there, band, and just do the bop-bops. Do you oh, think they would let us? Wade? Yeah. Wade, yeah, that was Wade Ripka and the Eastern Blockheads. Uh, they are from Russia, by the way. Anyone here? Well, the music a, is. Sitting across from here. Yeah, well, yeah, well, the music. And the singer, Eastern usually, Blockheads. is the head singer. we have the, 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 the head singer is, yeah, is from yeah, Russia. Yeah. And, that's, that's, and maybe uh, some of the musicians. Eastern Blockheads. <laughs> Great music. From Russia, from the 60s. From the 70s, 60s, 70s yeah, 60s, pop, pop, 70s. Mm-hmm. pop music. Well, Becky, I, I wanted to uh, share with you something. Something happened today, um, and we usually don't talk about the great leader. I mean, we try to oh have a, Trump, a Trump-free program. <laughs> why? But why? Some, something happened. I want to I play this for you. Oh, no, please. Um, so so here, here's a statement that he made yesterday. It brought me down. Um, and I, I thought it was something, at, when I first heard it, I thought it was something out of Mad Magazine. Here it is. Very importantly, I'm hereby directing the Department of Defense and Pentagon to immediately begin the process necessary to establish a Space Force as the sixth branch (laughs) of the armed forces. That's a big statement. We are going to have the Air Force, and we are going to have the Space Force. Because the aliens, right? Separate but equal. Oh my gosh! There you go. Oh, we're, uh, we're going to have the new Trump Space Force. His royal clownness. And wow. and and I think I want to become. A, I want to <laughs> be a space cadet. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, it's because it's 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 weightless out there, Let's so I don't have to lift anything. Let's send in our application to be a space cadet. We mu- we'll have to get in shape, but I think we should send in our application, <laughs> and we can. <laughs> yeah, oh I, I couldn't gosh. believe it. I mean, I heard it this morning. I went. Well, what is that? Is that a joke? Do, does anybody, Especially when he says it. Doesn't anyone Separate but him? equal. Doesn't he have people? Doesn't he have handlers that talk to him? Is he, uh, President Trump, I'm not sure if that's such a... Yeah, well. uh, you know, it's, maybe it's just not the time. I think it's, it's enough not, on it's Trump. It's too early. You're mm-hmm. way ahead. You're, yeah, okay, that's enough. Enough on Trump. It's like, it's just uh, unbelievable. So we're Upper West Side Radio now, Al. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we have a... We have our own radio show yes, called we do. Upper radio station. West Side Radio Station with yes. a lot of different shows. Yeah. We have Upper yeah. West Side Neighbors, and I just interviewed Dan Gorodnik, who is the president of the Riverside uh, Conservancy, Riverside uh-huh. Park Conservancy. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I plan on interviewing people from the American Museum of Natural History because they're putting up this Gilder Center there. Correct. And you've talked people. with them before. I so. talked with them and the Friends of Roosevelt Park. Right. And, and then uh, Will Waddy, who we met, the artist. On we 86th met Will Waddy. Oh, Will. Yeah, oh, he, yes. He Will, liked, Will who really, loves really our grandson. Our, right, right. Yeah. And then we're going to have Upper West Side Live. And so we're going to be broadcasting live concerts. And uh, Thursday, and of course, if you're listening to this next year, then you won't, this will be no good. It. But Thursday, um, from uh, 5 to 8 p.m., we'll be uh, live broadcasting a concert called Make Music Harlem 2018. So it's a street event, right? And we'll be we'll be broadcasting that. So we're looking for programming ideas, featuring local events, arts, sports, politics, any of that. And On just the Upper West Side. Contact us at info at upperwestsideradio.com. And I know you want to do a uh, Becky. Yeah, I want to uh, do a tour guide. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk around different neighborhoods of Upper West Side. I'm going to talk about the history of that neighborhood. I mean, interesting places, right? Not just 93rd and Broadway. And um, so that you could, and this will be podcast, so that you could put on your headphones and come to that neighborhood. Maybe we can put a little map on our, um, on our, uh, our website. And you can just, you know, go on these. Maybe I can put a little map on the website. <laughs> yeah, that, didn't I say you? Because you don't I touch we? the website. Oh, I, I'm sorry. You're right. Let me be accurate. Alan will put a, a map on the website so that you can come to the neighborhood and walk around with headphones and do a, a walking tour. There's a very interesting thing that's going to happen at the Make Music Harlem event. There's a new app, which is kind of like that. You walk around the neighborhood, you tune into this app, and it plays music that's relevant to the neighborhood. Oh. 
Oh. And as you move from one block to another, the music changes. Interesting. And they're going to talk about that. That's relevant at, to the neighborhood. At Make Oh, so that would be up in Harlem, Harlem, though, right? I guess. No, it could be anywhere that this app happens to be set up. Oh, I see. That's a great right. idea. I, I forget the name of the app, but they're going to talk about it during that program. And we're going out live at UpperWestSideRadio.com. UpperWestSideRadio.com. Okay. We have a very interesting program today. We're yes. going to be focusing on one topic for the entire program. Yes. About uh, criminal profiling and serial killing and serial rapists. We have two experts here. Uh, we will introduce them. Um, impressive uh, ladies who are experts in their field. And we, we will get to them in about, eh, about 10, 10, 12 minutes. Something like that. Right. But next, on our next, I'm really excited about also our next podcast on July 24th will be our first annual BCR Margie Crawl. Mm-hmm. Or Everybody's you, invited. That means, you know, bar crawl radio, margarita crawl. Right, BCR. We're going Margie to crawl. three restaurants. We're going to be starting. It's going to be between 5 and 7 on July 24th. And we're going to three restaurants. We're starting at Gabriella's. It's on 93rd and Columbus. And we'll be talking with Raphael Espinal. He is a council member in Brooklyn, the 37th district. Right. We're gonna, he is so busy. I mean, he, we see him in the paper all the time. Right, he He's, got dancing back in bars. I know, I know. And we're going to talk about getting rid of straws at bars, straws. Yes, 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 we're going to go straw We have some free. people here at the table who are using yeah, straws. Yeah, well, they're we'll not talk. enlightened. Right, we'll talk, we'll talk about that. We'll show you the, the, the video July, of, July the, uh, 24th. of the, uh, the, the turtle where they pulled the straw out of his nose. Anyway, so our second restaurant will be Casa Mexicana on 103rd in Amsterdam. And Nathan Lentz, he's a science guy, he's a real smart science guy, is going to tell us how our DNA is mostly garbage, which is fascinating. Right. It's a, it's a book that he just, he just put out. So, so that'll be on uh, July 24th. 24th. Everybody's invited. We start at Gabriella's. You can crawl with us. On 93rd in Amsterdam. And we finish up then at the Mexican Festival at 101st and Broadway. And we're going to have a mystery guest. We don't quite know who. But the manager <laughs> said that he's buying margaritas for everybody. So I don't know if I that's going to right? Ooh, careful. That's gonna so talking about margaritas and drinks, what are you drinking there, sweetie? I'm drinking Tito's and vodka in a tall glass with extra lime. Sounds good. And I, we, we learned that Tito's is from Texas. Oh, see, I didn't even know that. And it's, gl- it's, it's gluten-free. Oh, that's nice. It's so healthy. But isn't all uh, alcohol gluten-free? No, I guess not. Maybe not if not. it's made with the... Uh, yeah. I'm drinking yeah. Bell's Double Two Hearted beer. Uh-huh. And it's just, I'm, I had like three sips and I'm feeling a little... Oh, gosh. Uh, 11%. I it has two and a half times the regular hops. So it's really, really bitter if you like that kind of bitter beer. And it's uh, pumped up to 11% uh, alcohol. Um, and, and it's from... And it's from... And I, I won't be able to do this real quickly, so here we go. So we and should keep And it's from... Yep. Yep, yep, yep. It's from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Here we go. Everyone up and dance. Okay, okay. If you wanna, All right, so you wanna listen. listen to more that you can. So that that that's um what I'm drinking. Bell's double two hearted. And uh whoa, I'm I'm taking it slow because oh we have an god. hour here. Oh my god. Yeah. No more that near beer for you. Okay. So I have something for you, honey. All right. I don't know if you're uh, aware of this, but when you're talking about groups of animals, there's certain, um, you know, words, certain adjectives that you use, you know, like a flock of birds, right? Right? Yep. But all animals have different, different adjectives, right? That describe them in groups? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. So See, I um, am prepared. A- it actually dates back to the 15th century. It was first published in a book called St. Albans, which is a, was a three-part book on hawking, hunting, and heraldry. How alliterative those 15th century mm-hmm. people were. Mm-hmm. And so they... Okay, so here's some of the, the examples. Of co- these are called collective names. Collective names, yeah. Co- right. like collective, you know, an- collections of animals. Right. Right. And um, it was, you know, this list was recopied, but there's not any evidence that it was ever really used. It may, I don't know, it may have been a humor, 15th century humor, but in any case, for example, uh, do you know what a group of ravens is called? Uh, raging ravens. An unkindness. So unkindness of ravens, you right. would say. 
and a murder. Which is described, kind of describing ravens. Well, they, some of them are descriptive. Some of them you kind of go, um, okay, I don't get that. But a murder of crows. Right, that's okay. a good one. A turmoil of porpoises. Yeah, that sounds right. A cloud of grasshoppers. That sounds scary. Right. Um, I like this one. A busyness of ferrets. Right. Um, and here's an obvious one. An obstinacy of buffaloes. <laughs> I, <can laughs> I mean, look at those buffaloes. They, you know, otherwise. obviously, they're obstinate. Obstinate, yeah. But I don't think they... Do you think they had buffaloes in 15th century Europe? Well, anyway, a kaleidoscope of butterflies. Beautiful. Or you could say a flutter of butterflies. Yeah. Or a rainbow. A rainbow of butterflies. butterflies. It's a group of but butterflies. The thing that the reason that I'm bringing this to you today mm -hmm. to talk about it is because I was really excited. This is the most descriptive collective that I have come across, and that is, if you think about our government, mm -hmm. a Congress of baboons. Right, Congress of baboons. Yes. Yes. Which, which, which makes a lot of sense. And so I, I came up with my own. I know I knew you, you did. Could do this. I know you so did. So I, I came up with a, ti <laughs> a tirade of Trumps. Exactly. And uh, to describe the bushes, a blather of bushes, mm -hmm. um, clap of Clintons. Oh, you're being very alliterative, too. <laughs> a clap of Clintons? Right. I don't, that's not nice. All right. An obstruction of, what do you mean of by Connells. That? An obstruction of, con of right. Connells, yeah. And maybe this is the best one a mulling of Mueller's. I don't know. I don't you know, because he's kind of mulling oh, around. Oh, mulling around. Okay. Right, right. And a critique of wives. So there's, you know. Oh, okay. I think well, I'll stop there. Okay, no. I, you're going to go into husbands and wives and men and women? Okay, how right. about a noncommittal of men? <laughs> which brings us to the next topic, which is something we want to continue to talk about on Barco Radio because Rebecca and I have been married for a long time. We have a successful marriage. Some people have come up to us and said, how do you do it? How have you stayed together? You don't want to say how Especially many years? Especially with that man. You don't want to say it? You, um, you, you're it's, concerned I, I, about I don't want to say it because I don't remember. Oh. <laughs> well, it's not hard to remember, honey, because we, like, we were born. Something We were born. We were born together. We were married. 15 years. No, we, we were 20, married. We, 25. In and, and 1980. 80 years. So that's easy. 80. 80. Okay. Okay, so this is 18, 2018. All right, 38 there, we're coming Freaking up on 30 years. And on, on the 22nd. What's the date today? Today's the 19th. Oh, gosh. A few days. So, so we, we have kind of the corner on, and, and here, here's the title of this section, yeah. How to Have a Perfectly Adequate Marriage. Exactly. So we're going to give advice on advice. how to have a perfectly adequate marriage. And, and, but we, we couldn't think of any, so we went to the Reader's Digest. <laughs> and the Reader's Digest had, had this article called 28 Marriage Tips from Grandma You'd Be a Fool Not to Follow. And everyone knows the Reader's Digest, unlike the president, tells the truth. It's fact-based. I know. It's, 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 it's right. Yeah. So, so the, knows the first one is, um, and I'm, I'm going to play something that kind of is a lead-in so This it. is what grandmothers would say to, to their children, I guess. She's got a secret, and it's hidden inside this red bag. Was she engaged to two men at the same time? Does she sleep on a blow-up mattress in a dining room? Or did she appear in five different Girls Gone Wild videos? Oh, baggage! Coming up on baggage, it's hey, baggage. That was right. that was the game show we watched, and it wasn't Jerry Springer. It was no Jerry Springer. That he's always done it. No, no, no. But this is a different one. Yeah, it's the same one, Jerry Springer. It wasn't Jerry Springer on the show, but nevertheless. I swear to God, listen, listen. We're trying to talk how to have a perfectly adequate marriage here. Are you being an and, argument of husbands? And you're 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 critiquing me. You're being a critique of wives. <laughs> So just cut out. So the first thing right, Jerry Springer them, says. Let's just tell them how to get along with each other, okay? Open up your bag, let it out. That's yeah. what Jerry Springer says. Yeah. Jerry Springer. I just. And Grandma says, be careful what you share, because you really don't want other people to know. You don't want your husband to know. You don't have to tell them everything. You don't have to tell them everything. No, even if you've been married to them for 38 years, you right. do not have to tell them everything. So, so maybe I we need agree. to like let our baggage open or not to keep the bag closed. Well, I did open up some baggage to you recently. Don't right. you remember? Yeah, no. You found out. <laughs> you were complaining that there was too many. You said, how come we have so many clothes to wash? Because you wash the clothes. Oh, that's not baggage. It's sure. dirty clothes. Well, no, dirty linen. It's but like, I confess that I put clean clothes in there. Oh, this. there you go. That's right. Well, I did something today, but well, I'm not going to tell you. If they get a little spot. 
Um, you just, oh, good. No, don't tell no, me. No, I'm going to tell you. Don't tell me. The, the other one we're going to have, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Well, that's so true. what about that one? No, that's definitely true. You want to practice that one? You want to <laughs> try it? I practice it all the time. Come on. I'm always the one. I bet, I bet you, you accuse can't. me of being a Pollyanna. See, go on. I'm nice. Honey, not vinegar. Listen to me. Yes. Audience, I'm nice. You, you know it's true. All right, I'm everybody. I'm always nice. I'm always respectful. And uh, we're going to be right back here with our very interesting, important, smart, good-looking guests here. And we're going to be talking about uh, criminal profiling and uh, serial killing and uh, rapists. And, serial uh, killers. Kill, serial Defenders. killers and all Defenders. that stuff. And we will be right back. This is Bark Brawl Radio coming to you from Gebhard's Bar. I don't think we said yeah, that. Yeah, we're not getting tips here. Yeah. And uh, no, not, it's not a how-to. And we're across the street from the uh, mortuary, down the road from Trader Joe's. And uh, we'll be right back. Today's podcast is focusing on the findings of two criminal psychologists who work to understand the mind and behavioral traits of the violent criminal. Uh, these two women are scientists who examine the underbelly of our society in order to help police apprehend these bad actors. Dr. Gabrielle Salfati teaches in the psychology department at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, and I've known Gabrielle for many years, and I know her to be a kind, supporting, gentle, smart woman who happens to study serial killers and rapists. Though she doesn't look old enough, Dr. Salfati was one of the first to develop the new field of investigative psychology and is an internationally recognized writer, thinker, and researcher of violent criminal behavior and offender profiling. And that offender profiling is using the bad guy's behavior during the murderous act to catch him. At least that's what I think it is. Her discoveries have led to effective science-based methods that have helped and will continue to help the police do their work. And uh, we also have with us Dr. Marina Surachinsky. She is an investigative psychologist. Her area of expertise is in researching and applying psychological constructs to the behavior of serial violent criminals. She has published multiple papers on the behavioral aspects of serial killers and serial rapists in prestigious journals. And Dr. Surachinsky is a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice here in New York City, where she has corroborated in her research published papers with and been mentored by our other guest today, Dr. Salfati. Welcome, Gabriel and Marina. Well, thank you. So, so, thank you so happy. Us. So we've been trying to get you on the show for <laughs> about six months now. Now we got you. We're thrilled to be here. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. I, my first, our first question for you is, how, did, how would you describe the work you do? Did we do okay? In the, was yeah, that pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. close? Okay, good. But tell us... Tell us about the work. So, um, so we both work in the area called investigative psychology, which is a, uh, a subfield of forensic psychology. Now, most of forensic psychology generally um, refers to dealing with uh, psychology within the criminal justice system, but normally dealing once dealing with offenders and victims once the offenders have been apprehended or once we have a victim. We are actually involved in the process before that. Um, so we generally work on policing issues and investigative issues, and we deal on the whole processes before we even found an offender. And we're part of the process looking at how we go about trying to find the offender. And Marina, uh, so how, what do you do? Do you do anything different than uh, Gabrielle? Or? Uh, well, we... <laughs> Gabrielle has been my uh, mentor and um, advisor and, and subsequently colleague for the past 12 years now. So um, I came, in, actually, I came to John Jay specifically to work with her and to study uh, what she was uh, starting and, and uh, doing at John Jay. So uh, my area is kind of a sub-branch uh, within the, uh, the, the field that she started uh, back in the UK and uh, now continuing and, and expanding here in the US. I work mainly on um, understanding behavioral consistency and change across crimes in serial, um, serial violent offenses, basically, homicide okay. as well as rape. 
Right, right. Um, and 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 you've so you've kind of taken what you've learned from Professor Salfati, who you you seem to be very good friends. But now you write together a lot. I yes. notice your names come up on a lot of papers, and there are a lot of papers out there that 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 you two have worked on. Marina, let's let's uh, ask you this: How did you did you always want to do this? Um, no. Well, I <laughs> kind of. Um, I really oh, kind liked, of you did. I, I really liked detective stories when I was little. <laughs> I mean, when you were little, little. Yeah, and then... Do you remember um, any that you... Uh, well, Sherlock you Hobbs was my favorite uh, all-time... Sherlock Hobbs. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. She Sherlock said Holmes. Holmes. Yeah. I'm Russian, okay? Oh, okay. Accent. It's fine. Please <laughs> use it. You are fine. And by the way, we just found out Russia beat Egypt today. Yeah. In the, in the, in the uh, soccer Russia. match. Okay. Um, so I, st I, I started uh, as a uh, psychology major in, um, in Canada, and I was planning on um, going into neuroscience. Then I decided that I want to be a lawyer, and then I took a class in forensic psychology. And that's where I learned first about this investigative psychology field, and that kind of made up my mind on where I want to go next. And Do you remember what the inspiration was that got you... Like what? Like you heard something, and that said, "That's what I like." Was it the something specific? The empirical profiling. I was like, "I, I want to do this." Well, what is but, that? But like scientifically. Well, how would you describe empirical profiling? Uh, using data and using evidence to come up with solid um, profiles, as opposed to just kind of a. Uh, what they show in the movies, you know, oh, let me get into the mind of the, the serial killer and, and get it all. I think I understand what you mean when you say profiling, but I'm not sure if all of our listeners do. Um, so, Gabriella, would you kind of describe what that means to profile? Sure. Um, so what we mean by offender profiling is essentially using techniques to look at the crime scene and then we look at patterns at the crime scene. So not the clue that Sherlock Holmes always talks about, the individual thing that, you know, sort of is someone's calling card, but really at overall patterns and what's happening. And then we try to determine from those what type of crime scene that we have. And based on the techniques that we use, we then come up with models that tells us that based on how an offender acts at the crime scene, we can deduce some of his characteristics. I say his because about 90% of crime is committed by, by men. Mm -hmm. um, and the type of crimes that we deal with particularly focus on that. But we also look at women. Yeah, there are female serial offenders. So for example, um, this is my, my education from podcasts and TV. Um, the way the murder was committed that would be, like in poker, they say a tell. That would be something that might indicate something about that particular killer. Type of killer. Yeah, yeah type yes. of killer. Oh, the type yeah. of killer. So we're trying to look at, at kind of broad, broad patterns of this, you know, uh, offenders that, let's say, have um, burglaries in their background um, uh, criminal history, uh, tend to act a certain way in their subsequent crimes when they're committing a violent crime, right? So when you when you come up uh, when you come across a certain type of behavior at a crime scene, and you know that it's associated with uh, burglaries and robberies in right. the background, you know that this is the kind of characteristic that the police would be able to use to narrow down their suspect pool. And I then, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. Um, I think the misnomer is that we can identify the individual and that we can sort of tell you exactly who it is that we're looking for. And I think that's the big misunderstanding with profiling. That's not what we do. We look at general patterns, and the idea is that once we find, let's say, and we're looking at things that the police can actively use. So we don't try to get so much into the mind rather than trying to find out the type of person. So they live within a mile of the crime scene. They have, as Marina was saying, certain um, background characteristics like uh, burglary in the background or sexual offenses, uh, certain education level, the... Um, you know, they knew the person, and then we use those to narrow down the pool of suspects. Instead of the police um, looking at interviewing maybe 100 people, they would focus at the 10 out of those 100 who fall within the group, and then they would move out from there. So what is it about a crime scene that would tell you that they had burglary in their past? So, um, well, m many offenders have got burglary in their past. So it's one of those things that oh, uh, theft and burglary is actually quite common, particularly in certain types of offenders. However, there would be certain clues about the crime scene. Um, for example, how they approached the crime scene, how they got into the house, if they broke into it. And there's certain 
the idea is that we're looking for consistencies between mm -hmm. what a person does at the crime scene and what that consistency is in terms of who they are and what they've done previously. And you can tell maybe by their professionalism. So in other words, they didn't, they weren't an amateur about getting into the house. It was, you know, like something like that. You, you can. Um, the thing is, we we work because we work with patterns. We don't necessarily look at something that is exactly the same. Mm. And instead, we're looking at sort of the underlying theme. We call it the underlying type or the underlying pattern. So we may not see exactly the same behavior as what they would do in their burglary, right? So it's, again, not that calling card. But instead, we see a trend of how they're behaving. And then that's what we're looking for. Can so I just pull back just a little bit? Because we, I wanted to also hear how, Gabrielle, how you got into this business. Because you didn't, I know because you visited my class, I know you didn't start wanting to be a criminal profiler. You started uh, in other directions and something. Could you tell that story? of how you got into this? Yes, sure. Um, so I was very interested in uh, getting into criminal investigations as well. I was very much the same as Marina. Um, but at the time, I was, uh, I was looking into it, and there really wasn't much around. It was very much at the beginning of the field, and there was people were doing it in policing, but there was no science. And then around that time, um, a friend of mine sent me a newspaper article that said that there was a new master's program that had been created by the person who invented investigative psychology, Professor David Cantor. And, um, and it was exactly what I wanted to do, which was about analyzing crime scenes and applying that in investigations. And so I thought, this is excellent. And so I applied, and I got an interview. I was thrilled. I was an undergraduate at the time. And what were you studying at that time? Um, I was studying psychology okay. uh, in, in the UK. And um, so I went along to the interview, and I remember sitting around the table with these people who'd been selected for, uh, for the interview. And I remember Professor Cantor saying, you know, we don't have a field at the moment. We're really starting out. And so if you join this master's, you're really going to have to invent the field alongside with me. Wow. Um, and I think that really decided who decided to take the place on the master's. Not, and I was all in because I thought, well, this is new. This is exciting. I get to be part of it. And what was really interesting is that the group of people who did end up on that course, many of them today are actually the people who started off and are now at the main universities all around the world and they became the main researchers in the field and then started you know, researching it like I did here in, in New York. And, and, and you continue to work with them in different uh, venues and academic uh, conferences and, yes. and uh, centers and, and right. I, 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 it, it occurred to me, and it wasn't part of my question, is that it must take a special kind of personality, not to denigrate your personalities, <laughs> to be interested in basically catching the bad guy or bad person. Let's not be, you know, yeah. let's be completely correct here. Um, what, I mean, do you see, is there a certain personality? I, I particularly, I'm glad you do it, <laughs> but what, what is it about your personalities that kind of leads you towards wanting to get that bad guy? You know, it's, it's a really good question. I get that a lot. You know, you, what got you into this field? Why would someone like you do something like yes, this? Yes, you're so sweet. <laughs> like, Somebody's so nice. got to do you're it. You're both of you so nice. Someone has to do it, And yet right? you're dealing with these really grotesque events. I mean, the worst events of our world. Yes. And I, you're studying that all the time. I know. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it does bring a certain sense of satisfaction when you know that what you're doing is actually meaningful and can really make a change, you know? Like, it's, it's applied research. It's not just, oh, let's find out something interesting for the greater good of the world. It's actually, like, can be used by the police to make their investigation more efficient, to catch the bad guys, because... They shouldn't be out there. So no, yeah. no, they shouldn't. Right. And, and yeah. it's it's so great you're doing it. Have you ever had a, pr a practical instance or example? You don't have to give the example exactly. When you said I did this and it resulted in a conviction of the of the of the bad guy, or is it always kind of a separate kind of a thing? And you just know it made a difference. I mean, early on when I when I started in the field, I, I was involved in actual. Um, Policing. Profiling, yeah, policing profiling cases. Um, but it was very early on, and there wasn't a lot of science around there. And at the time, we did, um, you know, we did 
complete the profiles. We got it right, so to speak. But I always knew at that time, and we're talking 20 years ago now, um, that I might one day get it wrong. And I wasn't willing to take that chance. And that's really when I went into science full time. I mean, I was always a scientist, but I decided to completely dedicate my time to the research and build up the research field so that and instead of doing one profile myself, it takes a long time. You know, you're looking at the crime scene, you're going through the files. It can take weeks or sometimes months to write that report. Whereas really what I wanted was to have that big impact. And ultimately, I'm a psychologist, I'm a scientist, but I'm not an investigator. However much I know about investigation, how much, how, however much I'm interested in it, police officers are the investigators. They're the ones who have the skill and the experience and the training. And really what I wanted to do was empower the police to be able to do this themselves um, and have some of these skills through the training that we, we give them rather than always calling in an, an, an outsider like me. And so I actually wanted it to happen from within the police. So that's essentially what I dedicated myself to do. But a lot of what, a lot of what you do is very complex. Yes. I mean, what you're putting together some very complex yes. pictures. You said it took you weeks to put together oh, yes. a profile. But now you're getting into more complex stuff because you're getting into the science behind it, behind human behavior, which is probably how complex could you get. For instance, one of the papers I think you both worked on was about the, the consistency of inconsistencies. <laughs> right. You know what I'm talking right. about? Even our titles are complex. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The <laughs> consistency of the inconsistent behavior. Okay, so explain that. Yes, yeah, explain that, please. That, Lucy, <laughs> Lucy, explain that to me. <laughs> well, the, the, uh, the idea is that um, normally people have been uh, throughout linking, uh, as police have been doing linking crimes, in meaning uh, when they're trying to determine if several crimes are part of the same series. Right. They're looking at whether or not there's something that is the same across all of these crimes. Right. But what we find is actually a lot of it is not the same. So the offenders are changing their behavior. And so what we are trying to do is now determine whether we can understand that change as a kind of um, an alternative to consistency. So if we can determine the, the pattern in which they're changing, we can then still use that pattern to link crimes. So if, let's say, I find that, okay, so um, across these five crimes, the offender has been escalating in the, in the amount of violence that they have been using, this escalation is still a, a form of consistency. Yes. It's, it's a pattern, right? right? And so, in a way, it's not coming, out, coming across as exactly the same all the time, but the pattern is still consistent, right. and so we can use that pattern to link crimes. So I you're calling that a, 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 consist, a con consistency, consistency of, of inconsistency. Right. Okay. So, for example, let me see if I understand this from my podcast that I listen to. They talk to they talk about how um, the the killer is learning. Yes. So they'll make they'll do something that um, and they they. Like you know, they like go back to their home and they think about how they did it, and they go, "Well, let me try it." You know, next time I'll do it this way. So they, they get a little better, at the killing. Right. There are there are a lot of different uh, reasons for uh, offenders changing their behavior. Just like any, I mean, offenders are still humans, and their violent behavior is still a human behavior, and so it kind of goes by the same laws. Right. Right. If you go and you try doing something, and um, it seems like you maybe needed a little bit more force with uh, uh, what you were trying to do, or if you needed to uh, to use some different techniques, then you're gonna next time you're gonna try try it that way, right? And so right. that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's but one of the patterns. If if the victim is reacting in a certain way, and they realize that they need to be um, prepared for that kind of reaction then they will come next time better prepared, and so they will use something else. But then there's still something that links the killings, so to speak, right? So, for example, there was um, a series of killings in um, Virginia. Um, oh, Williamsburg. Williamsburg. And there was this, like, a road that was a little um, not much traveled on, and a lot of killings occurred there, but the killings weren't all in the same... They didn't, they didn't, the person didn't kill all in the same manner... And, but they were killing, there were some similarities. So they assumed that it was one. I don't know if it's ever been solved, but. I don't know, but that, that always comes back to the key question because people, again, always think that we need to focus on the individual behavior that the offender is, is engaging in. 
But when we actually went back and looked at this, because this was always a, a myth, a, a hypothesis, um, when we looked at it, it was actually not the case. And a lot of offenders change their individual behavior. So I always use the example of the plumber and the electrician. So you have, you know, you, you just buy a house and there's something wrong with your house. And um, one day is the, the toilet. And so in order to get, you know, to repair your toilet, you're, you're going to call a, a plumber, not an electrician. And the plumber arrives and, you know, I try to explain on the phone and I say, you know, there's a tube this and there's a button there and there's something <laughs> wrong, you have to come over. The plumber, it's all wet all over it's the place. It's all wet, it's all over. <laughs> yeah. And the plumber comes over and he doesn't understand uh, what I was saying on the phone. He's like, okay, I'm just going to put everything in my bag and I'm going to go over there and I'm going to deal with the situation. Once he surveys what he needs... He will then look into his bag and use whatever tools it is that he needs for this specific situation. Then he's, you know, he solves my toilet problem and he goes away. And then the next week, because that's always what happens when you buy a house, I have another issue. And this time it's an electrical issue. Now, I'm not going to call the plumber. I'm going to call the electrician. And this time the electrician comes after I try again to explain what was wrong. It's something to do with cables, something to do with more buttons, and he still doesn't understand, so he comes over and he deals with the problem. Carrying everything. Carrying everything, and he brings his bag, and he has all these tools. Now, these tools are very different from the tools that a plumber uses. And so he looks into his tool bag, and he will then pick the tools that he needs for this situation. Now, the idea here is that you have these two different um, people. You have a plumber and an electrician, and they carry different bags with them because they do things differently. But then they change the individual tools that they use at the crime scene, or in this case, my apartment, which is not a crime scene. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but the thing is, they will use, they will pick what works in that situation, but it's always going to be part of a particular toolkit. And it's the same way with offenders. Um, they will so use you could have an, an electrical problem defender and a, and a plumbing plop yeah. problem defender. Which is very different Offender. offenders. But the idea exactly. is that the, the plumber would use a different set of tools to repair the toilet compared to the bathtub. But it's still coming from the same toolbox. Yeah. And so we can identify yeah. who that general offender or... Yeah. Fascinating. We want to get to this, uh, this uh, difficulty of the police investigator in finding the right toolbox to use in the right situation. Because you may use the wrong toolbox. But my, my, the question that occurs to me is this, is that though the offender, uh, the bad guy, is changing his, her behavior, I'm going to say his behavior because it seems to me it's always yeah. his, is changing his behavior because he doesn't want to get caught and you want to catch him and you're looking for patterns of inconsistency and consistencies, that, that person still wants to get his thrill. Whatever that is, he's doing it for a reason. And and uh, Gabrielle, you you write an article about instrumental versus expressive. Is that what it is? Yeah, those are like the two different toolboxes. Right, but instrumental is like I just want to get, I want your money. Instrumental is more about the. This was about. This is an article that I wrote about uh, homicide. Right. And the idea is that the, the the main focus here is not the killing itself, even though it, they are going to kill someone, but it's not the person who upsets them. It's the person, um, it's what else they can get out of that particular crime. We call it instrumental because there's some additional, if you want, purpose for them doing it. The, the, it's not the anger itself or whatever. It's, it's a know, means to an end. But the serial killer is angry or it's not angry or wants well, to get something out of it. This is the thing. They, you know, we have, people always ask me uh, or ask us, you know, what's the typical killer? What's the typical profile? Um, and the thing is, there isn't one. And this is the key thing. And what we're really trying to do in investigative psychology is trying to find out how many different types are there? You know, mm. wow. i.e., how many different toolboxes are there? And how do we recognize them? And then, you know, how do we then train the police to identify these at the crime scene? So that's just looking at the crime scene. But then when you have a serial offender, be it homicide, serial rape, you can profile any kind of crime, burglary, theft, you know, car crime. Um, then the key question is, and this is really a lot of the work that Marina and I have been doing together, um, is trying to understand how people then change from crime scene to crime scene. If they use the exact same tool, the same behavior at each crime scene, it would be easy, but they don't. And so is there a recognizable pattern about do they always use the tool from the same toolbox? And the thing is, what we found out is actually no, they don't. 
and this is what we mean by that inconsistency. And so we're trying to find out, Marina's actually been doing a lot of work on this, trying to find out what these different inconsistencies are, because if we can find a consistency, so to speak, in these In how they change. Yeah. yeah, in how they change, then we can look beyond that. But then the thing is that it's not always because they're angry. It's not always because they don't want to get caught. And it's our role to find out what is intrinsic to the offender and what doesn't change and what comes out in their behavior, things that they can't change versus the things that are situational. You know, um, they will use, we always use binding and gagging as an example, you know, use one because the victim screams, the other one because the victim wants to run away, but that's situational. The main thing here that holds them together, for example, is that they want control. And so we look for that. But sometimes they change because as they develop over time, some offenders change, some offenders do not, some escalate, some do not, and we're trying to identify was what those patterns are, and that's still ongoing. But because if there are no patterns, you don't have a science. We yeah. have the science. Mm -hmm. yeah. We have the science, but we don't know how to put it in application because ultimately, the science is only one very small piece of it. I mean, ultimately, we need to, to, to train police on how to use these things, and that's a whole different language again, and how do you make all these huge complex concepts um, into things that we can train people who actually go out into the field. We don't want them to have to read papers and do science and understand statistics. We want them to be out, to be able to go out and, and solve crimes. Yeah, we, we have a whole bunch of questions. I do. But well, you, okay, go on, because uh, uh, Gabrielle just brought up the topic of training the investigator and the police to use this information in an effective way to catch the bad guy in a legal way that will then result in a conviction. Okay, well, here's, here's a question that's germane to that. Then. Yeah. One of the um, things that you've written about is how to interview and how to detect deception, right? No, that, that was me. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that was you. So is that something that you would use to, in the training programs? So this is something that um, is a bit of a different area um, of research that, I'm, um, that I've, I've done some research on and hoping to eventually um, actually dovetail, maybe? Yeah, join together with, um, with the, um, the profiling research that we're doing. The idea is that uh, once, when you're interviewing offenders, um, you also need to understand the different types of offenders and their, strat their strategies that they're trying to use on you when they're, when they're, they're scanning the police officer who's, who's uh, interviewing them and trying to determine how much information they have and uh, you know, what, what they know and what they don't know. And so depending on how you um, build your questions, you're gonna get a different set of uh, responses from them. This is a research that I've been doing with um, Dr. Maria Hartwig also at John. Oh, okay. How do you get your information for an, for that particular one? Because you need to get information that you build your studies up on. So here you're talking about an, a, an investigator cross-examining a possible suspect or a suspect. A lot of that research is done in uh, experimental studies actually. So uh, participants commit a mock crime so they go through a, a whole uh, set of um, um, events that so they, they're instructed to go to a certain place. And, they actually do and, it. Yes. And um, they're... So they have this physical kind of remembrance of actually moving their yeah. body through this so area. So they either actually uh, steal something or um, the innocent suspects uh, don't. So they go through the same uh, motions, but they don't steal anything. And then, um, so the evidence that you're then interviewing them about is kind of ambiguous. So it could be either uh, innocent or uh, guilty. But um, when the suspect doesn't know what information you have, they're they're behaving quite differently than when you tell them ahead of time. Well, you know, you're, you're guilty, and we have the fingerprints, and we we have you on camera, and da da da. And then they're going to be like, well, I was there, but I wasn't really doing anything bad. And so then you don't have any difference between the innocent and the guilty. But if you just ask them, well, were you there in that room? If the, if the person is innocent, they're going to say, yes, I was there. And I was, you know, doing this and that and the other thing. And if, it, if it's a guilty person, then they're going to go, oh, no, 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 I was never there. Huh. And so right away, you have a discrepancy between 
what you have as evidence and uh, what they are saying, and so you know they're lying. All right, right. I, 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 can okay. see, I can see a problem here, because your paper's out there, <laughs> and I read the abstract. I didn't read the whole paper. I read the abstract. You're overestimating the offenders. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I don't know if you got a smart offender, if you got like, you know, from uh, Silence of the Lambs, you have that uh, Anthony uh, Hopkins kind of offender. He's read your paper and he's like, he knows what you're, he knows your technique of revealing information slowly over See, time. That's the movies though, Al. I think that's well, the... That's, we'll, we'll, and and, and we'll, we'll get to that. Do, do, um, do criminal offenders change from one country to another? Um, that was actually a, a key question that a, uh, a colleague of mine uh, well, I saw it in a paper that yeah, you, you had he, written. Yeah. The, he asked me. We went to a we went we went to a seminar actually that the FBI had organised back in two thousand and five, and they they were gathering experts from all over the world, um, who had been involved in some aspect of investigations to do with serial homicide. They could have been investigators, judges, reporters, um, uh, writers, scientists psychologists and they got us all together in a room and they started asking us questions saying you know we're many years on from the original work that we did in the FBI we're, and we know that there were issues at the time and we, we need like any science we need to develop it where are we at now and so um, as we were talking about this and this is out there for, for people to look at but a colleague of mine actually who was working at the time who's an investigative psychologist you asked me earlier do, do we still stay in touch yes of course mm -hmm. um, and he was an investigative psychologist uh, he's actually a psychologist who was doing investigative psychology in South Africa and he, he was an investigator as well and he said well this is all very nice you know we're talking about the US we're talking about the Western world and we have people coming over and training us to do our jobs but I can tell you that things are very different in South Africa. And so I said to him, I said, okay, well, you know, if, if that's what you think, I, I think that's, you know, I don't know anything about South Africa. Let us come over and let's look at it. And he said, absolutely. And we actually did something that was quite unprecedented. And at the time, actually, Marina was, was part of this. She was a student at the time, and she came with me to South Africa. I actually left her to do the work. Um, Best field trip. What did you do while she was doing the work? I went safari. On a, yeah, I went course. on a safari. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Uh, but I came back eventually once they'd done the work to actually then, you know, just put the take cherry the on top. Yeah, take the credit. Um, no, they were collecting the data. So there was a group that was a, they were collecting the data. And what they did was actually, um, uh, what they actually did was to... Um, they gave us access to every single serial homicide case that had ever been investigated in South Africa, which is unknown. Oh, we my always, goodness. We always work with samples, you know, um, small groups. And based on that, we did a bunch of papers. And Marina and I wrote a lot of these together. And that's where a lot of our ideas started to really come to fruition and, and develop. And we saw these patterns of inconsistencies and some consistencies happen. And, um, and the interesting thing was, so yes... It was completely different in South Africa from what it was in the States. But How what was so? really interesting... So, the we're talking about, again, the individual behaviors that offenders were engaging in. But what was really interesting was that when we actually started to look at it, it was the same. And I can give you some examples if you oh, want. Oh, sure, yes. Um, so... So one of the things that, and actually that's one of the big projects that we have sort of put together now, we, we work on um, sex workers who've been killed. So that's one of our key interests because it, it's a very hi highly vulnerable group that nobody really looks into. And so, we so someone prays, there are people that prey on sex workers? Yes. And so that's really our focus at the moment. So we're looking at that and I've done some original work um, and, you know, when you look at someone uh, who's a sex worker who gets killed, um, Normally, she operates in a secluded area. Someone will come up to her in a car, ask her to come into the car, drive her away, seclude her, kill her, dump her body. And they're, the, they're avoiding, the sex workers are avoiding police anyway. So Exactly. Yes. So they're normally working in, you right. know, uh, right. areas of town where they will not be looked at. And so... And there's the, somebody who will go willingly to a secluded area with a stranger. Exactly. And right. then there will be some kind of exchange of money. So that would be the individual behaviors that would happen in these crimes. Now, when we look in South Africa, we're trying to look at the same thing to see, is there this same pattern? And, and what we found was, no, sex workers weren't being targeted. Almost and none. And we thought, almost none, which we thought was very, very interesting. But when we then started looking at what the offender was doing and the pattern... It was almost 
exactly the same. But instead what they were doing is that they were targeting women who were looking for work and they were offering them work, like basket weaving, for example. Now, instead of getting into a car, because people are very poor and they don't have their own cars, they were asking these women to go on public transport with them. And they would ride across, you know, for miles. Then they would get to a small village and they would say, you know, I'm just going to go to this other village with you and I'm going to give you a job. We're going to have to cross um, this field. And so she would go with him, i.e. to a secluded area for an exchange of money where he would rape and murder her and dump her body. So the victims were different. The area was different. The approach. The, well, everything that he did, the underlying crime was yes. very similar. And that was what's really interesting. So, um, but, so that kind of fueled a lot of our research in terms of our, we both have, you know, we're both, we, were, we both lived all over the world. And so we have an international interest. But also, we then started focusing a lot more on sex workers because they are such a highly vulnerable group. Did you know that the second most likely cause of death for a sex worker is murder second most likely first is drugs yeah wow um and it's i mean it's, it's horrific when you find some a sex worker has been killed 35 percent likely that but it was by a serial killer but qualify that in terms of so this is in terms of um sex workers that are dying at a certain age in a certain age group just at all you mean general, so yeah. so there's not a larger percentage that actually live to be live to an old age well, no, there, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, there are, but the, in terms of, there were some studies done in, um, was it Canada? It was Canada, right? The, the one about the, the, the cause of death. Yes, I think it was. And they, um, they just simply looked at what did they die of. And uh, homicide features very highly. And then when you look at serial murder in general, there, there's been a lot of work done actually suggesting that serial murder is going down, except for sex workers, serial murder rates are going up. And also, a large percent of um, serial homicides are towards women, women victims, and a, a big percent of those are sex workers. And isn't that part of the profiling or what the detective has to look at in terms of the, the investiga investigation? So what were the um, aspects of the victim that you know, somehow put them in the path of this serial killer? Oh, you mean how the victim? Came? Yeah, what their, their what their behavior was. Were they a sex worker? Right. Were they yes. um, were they someone that would do X, Y, and Z, and that would put them in that? You know. Yes, definitely. Path. Victimology is a big part of it. Right. Um, the problem with sex workers, particularly, is that a lot of the um, uh, the homicides of sex workers are um, delayed in terms of investigation because um, they're not reported missing very um, quickly. Nobody's uh, looking for them, or um, if they're, you know, they they get mistaken for a drug um, uh, overdose uh, um, right. death, or uh, there's just no leads to go by because the the crime scene is uh, such a mess in terms of um, everything you can find there, and so you don't know what belongs to the offender, you know, mm. in terms of the DNA or or any, any, pretty much any clues that are found. So a lot of these homicides actually go unsolved. 60%. 60%, yeah. About that. So those are some of the figures that are out there. I, you know, from your, what this conversation is going, I thought there were very kind of like limited on numbers of serial killing series. But it sounds like there may be a lot of series. It depends on uh, what you define, um, how you define serial killing because most well, how do you define when, serial killing well, is it two three we, four we define serial killing as any uh two murders committed by the same offender in two distinct events but uh when you do, if they, you have ask, to, do they have to kill to be a series people they know or no it, it can be most I'm a, uh, uh, this is so macabre we're talking about yeah, here yeah. and you deal with it all the, the time the problem is that a lot of people particularly in, in due to media and how they portray serial killers all automatically assume that a serial killer is a sexual serial killer yeah. so there, there must be some sort of a sexual element or either a rape or some other sexual gratification or fantasy right that, that is involved and so um, when you look at it that way it's a smaller number but in reality, uh, at two, anybody who kills two people is 
con yes. considered by um, uh, law enforcement, it is considered a serial mur murder. So. And you call it a series. Yes. Right, I but, noticed that in the writing. Yeah. But what you're talking about wouldn't necessarily have to be have to do with a, a series. I mean, this could just apply to someone who took advantage, you know, to identify, to profile the person. It's not necessarily a series of, of killings. Right. No, it can yeah. be, I mean, you can profile a single crime scene. Right. But then you right. always have to determine when you see that crime scene, is this a crime scene that was just, it's a one-off? Or is it part of a series? And one of the big challenges is to be able to make that determination. Mo I mean, most homicides are one-offs. Serial murder is not, uh, you know, we hear a lot about them because they're so gruesome and they're so dramatic. They're dramatic and it causes a lot of fear. Um, but it, compared to murder, obviously it's a lot smaller. It's but a smaller percentage, yeah. But it's, it's important once we do know that there is someone that we can identify what individual crime scenes belongs to that person and then also find out who that person may be in terms of type of person again, not the exact person, so that the, we can help the investigators to actually stop them before they commit more. Right. I mean, the, the, a lot of times the difference between what differentiates between an offender who, who kills just one person to uh, from somebody who kills three, five, or more is how efficiently and quickly they got caught. Right. So. Right. Right. So the, the person yes. that kills one may have been on his way to a series. Exactly. Right. Some of them. Yeah. Some, of, some of them. Right. It's I mean, most of them are know. not. Yeah. We're running up against the end of our hour here. But I, I, there's something I've got to ask you. I just came across <laughs> it today. You all have had uh, interaction with the FBI's Bureau of Science Unit? The Behavioral yes? Science Unit. Okay. And I just read today that they have um, a museum called the Evil Minds Research Museum. What the heck is that? <laughs> is there such a thing as an evil mind? And what's in the museum? That's a philosophical Because we're not allowed question. to go, but I guess maybe you have. I have never been, actually. Um, oh, but you could. I could, uh, if I asked. Uh, they maybe. do have a, a, um, a figure of Hannibal Lecter down at the Quantico headquarters. Do they? Yeah, they Let's do talk that. about Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> I've read the case files. Have you? Everything you need to find him is right there in those pages. And tell me how. First principles, Clarice. Simplicity. Read Marcus Aurelius of each particular thing. Ask, what is it in itself? What is its nature? What does he do, this man you seek? He kills women. No, that is incidental. What is the first and principal thing he does? What needs does he serve by killing? Anger. Um, social acceptance. And, uh, Sexual frustrations. No, he covets. That is his nature. And how do we begin to covet, Clarice? Do we seek out things to covet? Make an effort to answer now. No, we just... Now, we begin by coveting what we see every day. Don't you feel eyes moving over your body, Clarice? And don't your eyes seek out the things you want? We covet. <laughs> covet. Was he a real person? Was it based mm, on a real? It's based on several different several. Mm -hmm. uh, real uh, killers. Serial killers. So he mm. said they they kind of took a few different uh, characteristics from different ones. Right. Now you've been Gabrielle in the FBI behavioral unit. Uh, behavioral science. Yeah. Behavioral science unit. Yes. Uh, and you tell a story about being on an elevator. And there's an elevator in Silence of the Lambs in which there's a body on the top of the elevator. Yes, it's a, it's a scene from the movie. So they shot it there. and Because uh, the Behavioral Science Unit, which unfortunately is no more, it's closed and it's been integrated into the Behavioral Analysis Unit at the oh. National Center for the uh, But is it the same place? It's still at Quantico? And that it's still at Quantico, yes. And there's, a, there's an underground bunker. Bunker. Oh, um, God. Which was built because you know it had to during the Cold War it had to withstand obviously an attack etc. So it was a bunker and the behavioral science unit was there, and no windows, there. and it's still there. Mm -hmm. And there is this elevator that was very much part and of that. And Hannibal yes. Lecter as in well. In Hannibal Lecter. Wow. Right, right, <laughs> right. We, we, the, the, the blood was kind of dripping through the elevator and all. Wow. And you said you were on that elevator. You thought. Yes. That, that was great. Um, we wanted to ask, and, and uh, we have so many more questions. We wanted to ask 
Um, you're dealing with these macabre, awful, terrible things every day. I mean, you study it, you get into it, you know, up to your elbows in, in, in this stuff. How do you keep going? I mean, is, is there a separation that you have? Do you kind of just look at it analytically and don't look at it as human beings? How do you do it? I think you get into this field because you do feel like a human being. Like you, you have those feelings of justice and wanting to do what Marina was saying, you know, wanting to have an impact and uh, making a difference, helping in the way that we can as scientists. But just like a surgeon, in, for us to be good scientists, we have to be able to step back and not get emotional um, and be able to do our jobs. And we have to train people to, do, to be able to look at it empirically and not emotionally, because we know that when people are emotional, they think about things and they influences the way that we make decisions. And so that's a process to learn and it takes a long time. It doesn't mean that we ever get past it, but what is important is that we become aware of it so that when we train people, is you know when we do the job, when we train other people to do the job, is to say, well, be aware that our brains are influenced by certain things in certain ways and getting in touch with that and, and learning to separate. But we're never going to be completely separate. There's still certain things I can't look at. And being aware of that allows me then to hand that part over to someone else who may not be affected by that specific thing. And then I take over what they can't look at. Um, I don't know if you... Well, when I was when I started and I was doing a lot of um, reading the files and coding information from the files on my, myself, um, I remember going back home on the subway and looking around and, and seeing killers everywhere, mm. pretty much, <laughs> uh, or laying in bed and I was living alone at the time and, and I was laying in bed and just like listening to my cat do noises and I was freaking out about it. You get used to eventually kind of kind of it, it, you you learn to separate that from your life and not see killers everywhere and, and after all most of the time we do work with uh, databases and and numbers and so it's less kind of we're, we don't look at crime scene pictures all the time basically so that definitely helps yeah, right yeah. right is there anything that I mean, still, stuff does freak you out when you when you hear about it. You know, not what it is, but stuff does. I think what it is is that um, you become more like as soon as you become aware of something, you become more aware of what's around you, and so you will notice things much more um, in certain uh, places. You know, interactions that may go unnoticed by others, um, and that is very disturbing when you see that. And you does want that to happen every day? Does it happen? I think it's just an awareness that you walk around with. So, you know, you always know who's around you. I mean, anybody who's in, who is in this world will have that. Um, but uh, I think that ultimately, I mean, there are those people who get into this field because they're fascinated by the criminal mind and the, you know, they watch all the movies and all that kind of thing. But I think that for me, it, it was really um, being able to step back and making sure to to have a small impact to keep people safe, right. uh, I think. And, and But you do so carry that with you. And um, But I don't think it's something that influences you on every you know every single day. Because like Marina was saying, we mainly work with data sets. We work on the science side of it, behind computer screens. We're not at crime scenes. And that is a, it's a huge sort of step back from where it's happening. Right. That, that sort of keeps our minds safe, so to speak. I have a, I have a question. So I, this is the, the last one now, okay? So the, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm telling you which one. So. Yeah, it's number okay, seven here, yeah. I think. So yeah. which, okay, give us some advice. What are the good podcasts? Which movies got it right? Which, I mean, do you know? Do you, do you have a, a, a favorite or something that? Um, if you don't have an answer for that, the, the question is, what do you watch that, um, that you can watch? I know you like uh, CSI. No. No. NCIS. 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 Right. And that's because I love the actors. Okay. <laughs> all right. So you're just like all of us. And they, they will wear uniforms. Um, no. Most of the time, I think it's, it's when you're watching movies about um, criminal investigations, 
uh, it's probably a lot like for a doctor to watch a medical show. It or a just, lawyer to it watch just a cross-examination. It annoys right, you like right. crazy because they're, they're they got no it all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. So there's no good ones because there's the... the, the um, well, if you take it as an entertainment, then there are good ones. Like, you know, Criminal Minds is pretty good. And and, he, and but that's written by a former profiler. Yes. Jim Clemente. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. It is good in, in terms it's, it's of... It's good as entertainment. It's, it's good as not good to take as, oh, this is how they do it. I'm sure that he would probably say, you know, these are compilations and, you know. The problem is when you study all of this, is, is like I always say to the students, you know, you will forever be spoiled. You'll never be able to watch another crime show and enjoy it again because you will always see the faults. Because there's one thing about trying to get it on TV and making it be for, you know, a movie and exciting and... Um, and then actually doing it in real life. I mean, I don't actually watch crime movies. I will watch anything but, um, because the last thing I want to do when I get home is to talk more about of the things, same. Right? More right. of the same. Talk about crime, read about right. crime, it's watch crime. It's not relaxing. It's not relaxing. So that I go the, ex- I mean, give me Disney or anything, right. you know, right. cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> Doc Martin. Doc Martin, we love Doc Martin. Marina Sorachinsky. Gabrielle Salfati, thank you so much for joining us here on our trip through Bar Crawl Radio with my lovely, uh, not non-critiquing wife, uh, Rebecca uh, McCain. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank um, you for inviting us. We had so us. many yes, other questions. But, you You'll know, have to invite us back. We'll, 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 we will. We'll have to we do will. that. We'll do a series. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and with that, Bar no. Crawl Radio ends. And Thanks. next, and our next Bar Crawl Radio will be our first annual BCR Margie Crawl. It's 5 to 7 p.m. And we'll start at Gabriela's. We'll go on to Casa Mexicana and end up at Mexican Festival. So listen to us and give us your review and your please like us on iTunes and, and Stitcher and look yeah. us up on Instagram. We're on Instagram now. Follow us and follow us on Facebook. And follow us on UpperWestSideRadio.com. If you uh, have a podcast you'd like to help produce and, or one that you've done and you'd like to put it up, we're looking for programming. This is Bar Crawl Radio coming to you from Gabrielle. Not from Gabrielle. No, my gosh. From, from Gebhard's. We're going to Gabrielle's. We're at Gebhard's. Oh, and by the way, I was going to tell you, I, the people that work here are so nice. They're just... And the beer is so good. Really friendly. You so like beer. come on to Gebhard's. Yeah, try this. Right across the street from the mortuary. And love you, sweetie. Love you, too. Bye-bye.